Hello, and welcome to our last episode of the season, the season four retrospective episode, where we talk about our favorite moments, favorite characters, fan mail, everything under the sun for season four. My name is Charles, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Lee. Thanks, Charles. My name's Lee, and that's right, we're talking about season four of Northern Exposure, the longest season of Northern Exposure. You know, we started with season one, I think something like eight episodes, Season two, seven episodes. Season three, I want to say is 23. And season four, now 25. And they, they, the rest of the seasons, five and six, are something like, I think, 24 and 23, respectively. Uh, they're pretty close. But this is, for some odd reason, one episode longer, you know, like, or, or 25 now. Just the longest, the longest season. Yeah, I definitely felt that for this season. Because I was looking <laughs> through on the past episodes, trying to compile a list for like, let's say, top five episodes. Yeah, right. And I was getting to some of the earlier ones. I was like, that was, was that like actually season four? Like, I couldn't believe it. I, I thought those were like season three episodes. It really is like a world apart from where we are, you know, at the end of the season now, which is more fresh in our minds. Uh, and, and this being, of all the seasons that we've watched, Charles, this is the season I've probably seen the least out of the four uh, so far. You know, I've rewatched one and two many times. I've seen three quite a few times. So this season, you know, is less baked into my mind, though, of course, I did remember all the episodes. Uh, I, I was, you know, from time to time to time, kind of surprised by some episodes. And now I'm surprised that I've kind of already forgotten some of the earlier moments, uh, though. You know, I did take we we had a lot of time to prepare Charles for this episode. So I did take some time to try to revisit the moments and the way uh, the way these episodes made me feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's just start off by saying, like, how do we feel about season four, just collectively, all 25 episodes of them? So for me, looking at season four, I'd have to compare it to the, the previous seasons. And I put a lot of value in the first two seasons. They're phenomenal TV. But when I go back and think about it, I almost feel like season three... For better or for worse, you know, it may not have um, a perfect track record, has some really great episodes and maybe stands, in my mind right now, maybe stands as like the peak of Northern Exposure. That's not to say that season one and season two don't have better episodes inside of them, but just season three overall uh, really feels like they've hit their stride there. And season four is... um, in the same way, they're, they're sort of in that stride, but introduces some new elements, which I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, namely Mike Monroe, um, things like that. And, and just overall for me, I don't know if it ever reached the same heights as previous seasons, but I would still say this is Northern Exposure. It's a great show. But, but what about you, Charles? Yeah, I want to say like the addition of Mike was, <laughs> it, it just felt like, um, so... In Northern Exposure, there's typically, like, a dream sequence right. in them. And, like, almost, like, every single episode, there's something of that nature right there. But then whenever Mike was introduced, uh, I, I think I realized that there was just much less of them until Mike leaves. And then the dream sequences come back right there. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, like, Mike yeah. was necessarily a detriment to Northern Exposure. It was just, like, a different flavor. And now that I know that he's gone for good... Uh, it almost makes me want to write off season four as this strange anomaly where there was just like a 
Like they're trying something out or something. Right? Yeah, like just halfway through. Not even halfway. I think Mike was introduced within like episode seven or six. It's somewhere five. relatively close. Episode five. Yeah. <laughs> so he's introduced very early on. And from there, they just wanted to really just try out a new element right there with this new cast member. And I think that's the biggest thing that I would say about season four for the changes on it. Overall, though, I think that I enjoyed it. I, I wouldn't say that there was anything that made me really dislike Northern Exposure, but I would have to say that there was nothing that really made me fall in love with Northern Exposure even further. It was like it was going for the middle ground where it was going toward the classic Northern Exposure tropes and relationships, and I was able to easily grasp into them because I had three other seasons, but it, it wasn't like trying to break new ground. Yeah, and you know, that's not to say that there's... Uh... There aren't groundbreaking episodes. I think we mentioned just uh, with our season finale, Old Tree, you know, the whole incorporation of a musical uh, and the singing. Perhaps that's not the very first uh, piece of television to do that, but, you know, that was pretty um, ahead of the curve for the time. But uh, no, I think you're right. I can totally agree with everything that you just said uh, about sort of serving to the, the middle ground. You know, I think if you're a fan of the show, this season really delivers, and it's really a comfy show to return to. And I think that's one of the best uh, selling points about this TV series, is that it's uh, you're going to be returning to this cast, this town, this setting. And while for me, what I rate you know highest in my mind is some of those episodes of Northern Exposure that really hit hard, like hit you in the heart or really inspire you. But if I had to be honest with myself, I think a large part of uh, my enjoyment of the show and anyone's enjoyment might just be returning to this cast of characters, which is now so richly developed. I feel like every character has uh, their own storyline to go on. And we're introducing new characters this season. Like you said, Charles, maybe that's something that they're trying out and it's, uh, you know, maybe not fully working for us here, but I can't be too critical of this season. All right. Well, now that we have our thoughts for season four collectively, why don't we break down into categories? Start talking about our favorite things of this season. Um, how about top five episodes? How does that sound, Lee? Started off with whatever. This is what everyone wants to know. Our top five episodes. I think, Charles, I, I don't know if I say this every time, but I should say it at least this time that, of course, this is just my ranking today. As of recording now, I'm sure years from now, or even tomorrow, I might rank these differently. But um, I should also mention that, as we talked about at the top of the episode, some of these earlier episodes in the season are a lot uh, foggier in our minds. You know, it's been a very long time. I think we released the first episode, Northwest Passages, um, I want to say like in November, maybe like at the end of October. So, you know, we're coming on eight months or something, like, you know, three quarters of a year later that we've uh, revisited all these episodes. I think what we need to do for next season is after we watch an episode, sort of try to rank it in our minds just so we, because we may not be able to remember it by the end of the season. But, um, but I have given it a lot of thought. I have tried to go back and refresh certain scenes, certain thoughts, you know, certain episodes. And I'll go ahead and rank my top five episodes of season four. And I got to say my method for ranking these is I would just rank them out of like one through five, five being a really great episode, one being a terrible episode. And I got to say 
doing this, I pretty much just got all threes with a few fours and maybe one or two fives. But I think I'm just going to start with my number one favorite episode because it stands up above the rest for me. For this season, season four, the eighth episode, Thanksgiving, by far one of my favorite episodes. I think it's not only the best episode of this season, but the best Thanksgiving episode of of television. I I can't think of a better Thanksgiving episode of TV. I loved how the show celebrates Thanksgiving, but also is smart enough to criticize the celebration of that holiday and what it might mean, what Thanksgiving might mean to Native Americans and their sort of a retaliation to to celebrating Thanksgiving. Uh, My number two, uh, for similar reasons, is The Big Feast. Charles, we talked about this episode having that same sort of duality in which it celebrates lavish extravagance and also criticizes the sort of wastefulness uh, and and gaudy celebrations like uh, we have in The Big Feast. Then uh, number three for me is Gross Point 48230. I just really liked that this is an episode that is sort of removed from the setting of Sicily, Alaska, and also removed from many of the characters. Of course, we keep our uh, central cast, our you know our main two, uh, Joel and Maggie. So we just join them on an adventure outside of Sicily, and I think it uh, did very well for you know being one of those sort of like outlier episodes. Uh, number four for me is Northwest Passages. That's the first, the premiere episode of season four, uh, as in like the first episode. And uh, yeah, I just really loved the whole, I think we talked about this in our podcast episode of this, Charles, but how it sort of has its own like third act or it's has like a certain moment in that episode where it becomes sort of like a race against time. We have to rush and save Maggie. It almost has like action elements to it where they're like driving really fast, have to hop in a canoe and, and swim out to, uh, or, you know, paddle out to Maggie. Um, but of course we get wonderful dream sequences. Uh, we can go on and on about this, but let me just uh, wrap this up so we can toss to you, Charles. My number five is Cottish for Uncle Manny, which I think is uh, most people's favorite episode this season. And it's a great episode. I love that it talks about the themes of community and your community, you know, your community around you is sort of like your family in a way, or at least Joel finds comfort in the town of Sicily, like the townsfolk being his community, even if they don't share his faith, they can sort of serve as a proxy, but maybe not even proxy. Maybe they're even closer than uh, just a a Jewish person would be to Joel. Uh, But that's what I got for top five of season four. Charles, what do you think? Yeah, those are all great picks. I think they all share a similar theme of community. The Big Feast, Cottage for Uncle Manny, and Thanksgiving, which was your favorite episode of season four. So I can definitely see that those are the things that draw you into Northern Exposure whenever they can utilize the full cast of characters and say that, like, you know, just like how the town is encomposed of the townsfolk, the townsfolk are also the ones that make the town. It goes hand in hand together. Yeah, so I think those are very great picks. I don't have really any uh, any beef with that. <laughs> Honorable mention, Northern Lights. I know that's also another fan favorite, but... um. Yeah, that's that's all I got for my rankings. Charles, what do, what are your favorites? I'm going to go from the opposite. I'm going to start okay. from my fifth 
down to my favorite episodes right there. And I know that you use like a quantitative scale. <laughs> like you tried to put it into numbers. I just did it off of gut feeling. Like how did the episode make me feel whenever I watched it? I don't know if that's a very good method of evaluating things, but uh, no, yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> I like that. So starting off at number five, I'm going to give it to Northern Lights, which was your honorable mention right there. I thought that Northern Lights was a very standard, but yet good episode of Northern Exposure. So you had all those different plot lines that were running from Chris trying to find out what to do with his artistic endeavors to Joel, you know, swapping in act two with the homeless Marine. Mm, yeah. Like there was just like a lot of mechanisms that were going through Northern Lights and it ends with that, uh, such a Northern Exposure ending where like Chris has now set up like this entire light festival for yeah. the town to marvel in and like there's music playing which was the same song they used from broadcasting right. so a plus one to that episode right there my number four pick would be cottage for uncle manny that one is a very fun episode because of the miller brothers that come into town <laughs> <laughs> i know that like predominantly that episode is focused on joel but i i do love the b plot line that involves Chris and Bernard against the Miller brothers right there. So, yeah, that's a very lovely, touching episode of Northern Exposure, how Joel needs to come together with the townsfolk and how they all try to help him out and try to make him realize that he's wanted there. My third favorite pick would be Revelations. Ooh, that is the episode where yeah. Chris goes and takes a sabbatical. He goes to a monastery and has Bernard fill in for him at Cape Air. There's also the other plot lines involving Ruth Ann having to pay back Maurice on what she owes for the store and Joel becoming like frustrated that he doesn't have any patience left. And I think I just really liked Revelations because there was a lot of things working in there that was subverting our expectations of it. And it had Steven Root. Yeah. He's always great to have <laughs> right there. I still think about the B scene sometimes whenever I think about Northern Exposure season mm. four. I think that was like one of the peak scenes for me. I, wow, I just yeah. really enjoyed that one. My second pick would be Nothing's Perfect. That Ooh. is the episode where Chris accidentally kills a dog right there. That one's really fun because that one was having a <laughs> comparison between like artistry and mathematics and uh, those two would kind of be blended together like you almost couldn't have one without the other right there and you also have maurice trying to fight against time by him literally yeah. buying a clock and trying to fix time right there that one just had a lot of neat concepts in that one i, I know it was early on into season four before mike was even introduced <laughs> but i i felt even from when i had watched it that this was a very great episode of northern exposure that i was definitely going to remember and my favorite episode would be Gross Point 48230. We both have that one up there. I love this episode. I know that it's the one that's not in the town of Sicily, but I think that the reason we get such enjoyment out of this is because we already have three seasons of Joel and Maggie and how we know how the relationship works. So you could not have done Gross Point 48230 in season one, two, arguably even three. You could not have mm. done that then. And that's why I place it so high because it's them realizing that we trust these characters enough to be in a totally alien location and that the audience would still love the episode. It was a great look into Maggie's past life. We never really get to see it. We've only heard stories about it. But I love seeing into it how we get to see her family, her cousins, just like the eccentric people in her family. 
I love the pacing of the episode from her having to talk to the grandma just stuck in the just stuck in the bathroom and how that just transitions to Joel playing basketball and just like the weaving of all just various plot lines, but only involving just two characters of Northern Exposure. I think that it's a fantastic episode. Yeah, you know, I think I'll have to agree. Even though it's not my number one, I think that is probably, like you said, uh, it's like the quintessential season four episode. I like how you said it could, you know, arguably couldn't even happen in season three. It really fits like this is the season. This is the episode that sort of, I don't know, it could only fit here. And it is almost like, I don't know, like the 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 peak of what we could bring in season four. Uh, or at least it's a, it's a perfect sort of like top of the mountain in that like it's like right in the middle where we, you know, if, if you think about one side and the other, uh, let's see, what episode was that? I think it was 14. Yeah, 14 out of 25, you know, not exactly right in the middle, but it feels very central for some reason. Yeah, that episode, like, it made me feel excited when I was watching it because it, it like... It made me realize how much potential you can have with these characters, even when you take them out of an ordinary northern exposure setup, which is ordinarily lots of dialogue, lots of character-driven moments. But in this particular case, I just loved seeing them visit like this upper-middle-class suburban neighborhood, having Joel also be out of place, seeing how Maggie is trying to talk with her mother Jane, her brother Jeffy, Jeffy's wife Steffi, like... It was super Wes Anderson feeling right there. <laughs> and, you know, dysfunctional families, always such a treat to watch. Yeah, definitely have a soft spot for that, uh, Charles. But I, I do too. I agree to that. Um, and again, I just want to reinstate that these are not definitive rankings. These are highly subjective to our personal tastes. And they might even change as early as tomorrow. We might flip these ideas. This is just what we wanted to present to you today when we recorded, uh, our opinions don't matter. In fact, you know, your opinion matters the most. So, uh, I do want to present some favorite episodes that, uh, we've heard from fans of the show and listeners to the podcast. Uh, they wrote in with some of their favorite episodes. I'll just start with, uh, some mentions from Facebook. Let's see. Liz Paget writes, this is about favorite episode in season four. She says, that's a hard one because there are so many great episodes in season four, probably the best season, which is really saying something. My favorites are Thanksgiving, Northern Lights, Big Feast, and Midnight Sun. But I think of all of them, my favorite is Northern Lights. I always go back to Maurice's conversation with the homeless vet. I think this gets to the core of Maurice's character. But all coming together to look at Chris's beautiful light sculpture, I just love it. It makes me so happy every time. And yeah, she mentioned also Midnight Sun, which is, I think, a very fun episode this season. I think that was the second or third episode. Um, but that's a great episode. Lots of fun. Let's see. Another person from Facebook. This is Paul Madavi Bernstein. They write, Kaddish for Uncle Manny as their favorite episode. It's not about the traditional rules, though Coen Brothers reference and Buck are pretty funny moments. It's who is your community and the way camera work is done while everyone contemplates slash prays in their own way, is another whole karmic enchilada moment. That's uh, I guess that's uh, taking one from Chris Stevens, like the whole karmic enchilada, very spiritual, uh, metaphysical, philosophical. Um, we talked about that in our podcast episode, but it was interesting to see how each townsfolk had their own way of 
sort of praying, like whether it's bowing their head, covering their eyes, raising their hands in the air, standing up, uh, lots of different religious representations, but you know everybody is gathered for sort of the same, same reason. Uh, let's see. We also have from Anne-Marie Jean. She says, just one of my favorites is Midnight Sun. We got another Midnight Sun. I've always wanted to experience this, watching Joel with all that extra energy and never sleeping. Well, I bet I would do that too. So yeah, <laughs> maybe more of a uh, wants to live vicariously through Joel's uh, infinite amounts of energy in that Midnight Sun episode. Uh, but that, that's pretty awesome. Uh, let's see, a couple more. Karen Perkins writes, the Gross Point episode was very funny with Grammy refusing to come out of the bathroom and Maggie's brother and sis, I think, uh, Jeffy and Steffi, totally messed up relationship that just had to come to a head at Grammy's party. Yeah, we love dysfunctional families, as we said, Charles. And uh, Grammy uh, Grammy O'Connell was pretty wacky. Wait, I guess it's not O'Connell, right? It's uh, on her mom's side. I wonder, I forget their, uh, forget, I forget her mother's maiden name now. I don't know if they ever say it. It looks like it just says Jane O'Connell or Jeffy O'Connell or Steffi O'Connell. Uh, for the IMDb and from the <laughs> Wikipedia, from what I'm able to tell, it just says Grammy. Hmm, yeah, so I guess we'll never know. Uh, I mean, if someone picked it up, if they did mention uh, Grammy's surname or Maggie's mom's last name, you know, please write in and let us know. Uh, but let's get through some more fan favorites. Chris Valley writes... For an episodic show, there were some fantastic character studies in season four. I'm thinking of Chris in Heroes, Crime and Punishment, and Revelations, Ed in Duets, Ruthann in Blowing Bubbles, and Joel in Cottage for Uncle Manny, my favorite season four episode. While season three was Northern Exposure's peak, season four does manage to live up to it. Yeah, Charles, I think we said that maybe um, season four is you know, not the worst. It's like living up to our expectations and doing a pretty good job of being great television. And Chris here, you know, relates the idea that even if we might not rate this as high as a previous season, you can still see that there are very um, character-focused episodes. And let's see, I think I got just a couple more. Oh, I want to point out that Mike McCormick on Facebook did a poll for favorite episodes of like each season. I'm just going to talk about season four. But um, with 30 votes, Northern Lights was the favorite episode of season four. And with 24 votes, the runner-up was Cottage for Uncle Manny. So again, some very favorite episodes, uh, very beloved episodes this season. And then I think for Facebook, we just have one more. Uh, Nothing's Perfect. This is Michael Samuel rating Nothing's Perfect as their favorite. He mentions he includes it in his top 10 episodes in the book that he's writing on Northern Exposure. I'm trying to remember the name of uh, this book that Michael Samuel is working on. I can see that he has a book titled Northern Exposure, A Cultural History, which I think was released in November 2021. Quick correction, I should say it will be released in November 2021. So later this year, you could hopefully check out Michael Samuel's Northern Exposure, A Cultural History. Anyway, I think that's all we have from Facebook. But Charles, we have some write-ins from email. Let's see, why don't you read one of those to us now? Okay, so Kevin McCardle writes in to say that his favorite episode this season was also Caddish for Uncle Manny. He wrote that it was especially touching and memorable right there. Yeah, let's see. He also wrote, he was not a huge fan of Mike Monroe, but his presence allowed Joel and Maggie's friendship romance to grow in new ways, which I guess is true. 
you know, you gotta, you gotta take a look at the silver linings. All right, let's go on to our next category, which is going to be favorite moments in season four. For me, I would have to say one of my favorite moments is in Love's Labor Mislaid, whenever Holling and Ruthann go photographing the Siberian tits in the forest. And they use it as if they were like hunting them with guns, but no, they're just capturing their essence in photography right there. And I think that I really like this moment a lot because the other plot lines in this episode are the characters fighting with each other. There's a whole lot of disharmony and people getting into spats. And this conflict is being caused by a lot of things that we give more weight to than we should. They're very unnatural ones. And the only two characters in that episode that were really able to go past these conflicts were Holling and Ruthann whenever they go out into nature and they start using kind of like out-of-the-box ideas in order to enjoy their time. And I think that's why, with that context in mind, that this is one of my favorite moments. My second one would be Maurice and his childhood in Homesick. So Maurice gets his childhood home (laughs) from Oklahoma shipped over, and he has a very sweet moment with his past brother, obviously a hallucination of sorts, him like reverting back in time. But I think that it's a very tender moment involving Maurice that we don't really get to see a lot of. And I think that's why Maurice is actually like one of my favorite characters this season. Yeah, those are great. I, I have some favorite moments as well. And, and I took them from episodes that I didn't rate in my top five because, you know, just to, of course, there's so many great moments in, in my top five, but I wanted to focus on just these really striking moments in other episodes, you know, just to show that even though they're not in my top five, they've got some really great stuff and probably better moments or moments that I enjoy even more than some in my top five, just just moments that stand out. So one of my first ones is the dance with abandon scene. I think that's just a a very strong memory in any fan's mind. If you're a fan of the show, you can remember this closing image of Ed and Chris dancing with the crane princess. And I just also really loved the music. It's that uh, Brian Eno song, uh, Lay My Love is the name of the song. And I've been listening to it ever since I watched that episode just to keep, I just really like that song. It's so odd and so is their action, you know, just dancing with princess. It's so strange, but beautiful and fun, playful. Uh, I almost don't want to tell this little anecdote because it kind of really spoiled it all for me. But um, Charles, I I mentioned to you, I had started watching um, Darren Burroughs' Return to Sicily and the the extended interviews and stuff that they did. And uh, I think we learned from either Chris, sorry, um, John Corbett or Darren Burroughs that during this scene, the crane wouldn't dance. Like it wouldn't actually move. So they had to tie like fishing wire and visible string to the crane's like legs and wings and just yank so that the crane would like kind of move and react to people pulling on these wires. And that just sounds unpleasant. I'm sure it was safe. I'm sure no animal was harmed, but I, I don't know. I really believed that <laughs> that the crane was actually <laughs> dancing with them for a second. But um, unfortunately, yeah, I feel bad even telling that story, but, uh, but still one of my very favorite moments of this season. Uh, another is in duets with Ed and one who waits. I love that moment in Ed's pickup truck 
where he gets back into the truck and he's sitting next to one who waits and he has to sort of shamefully say, look, I'm sorry, I didn't get around to asking this man if he was actually my dad, uh, you know, because I wanted to at first and I couldn't get the courage. And then finally, I feel like I lost my chance. And it's almost better if I don't know if he's my father, because, you know, at one point I met this man, I thought he was my father and I was cool with that. I was happy with it. And now I have to retread all this murkiness in my soul and in my heart and and try to re- rethink over all these thoughts of abandonment and not having a family. And, you know, Darren Burroughs' performance is spectacular, I think, not only in that scene, but in many scenes in that episode. But um, I also, in that episode, I think one of my favorite quotes of the season is from One Who Waits. He talks about time. He says something like, time is like a wheel, or it could be like a river. Um, I'll, I'll play the soundbite. Ed, I've come to say goodbye. Oh, you're going. Well, there's really nothing left for me to do here now. I'm sorry I couldn't tell Pete he was my father. A man's got to do what a man's got to do, even if you can't explain why. I just never seem to be able to find the right time. Well, there are those who believe that time is a wheel turning forever, which would mean that your moment will surely come. Then there are those who believe that time is a river, which if that's true, it's possible your moment has already flowed by. Which one do you think it is? I think that time is just time. Goodbye, Ed. And just one more favorite moment. Uh, Joel, when he's looking for Marilyn in Seattle, she takes that vacation. Joel goes to see, I think it's like a private eye or it's probably a detective, like the missing persons department at the Seattle police station. And he's describing Marilyn as, uh, he's like, you know, you don't, you don't get it. She's not like you or me. She's better than you or me. You know, she's like a better person than us. And it seems like, I loved it because it seems like Joel is concerned because Marilyn is not adept or not made for city life. But actually what he's trying to say is, no, she's even better than that. Like she's better than us. And we really get to see how much Joel uh, loves, you know, Marilyn in, in that moment and throughout that episode, especially the ending. But Charles, actually, I think we have someone who wrote in from Twitter who is talking about Marilyn specifically, but favorite moments too with Marilyn. Do you want to read that to us? Yeah, so at Sam Seaborn ESQ, I'm assuming that's a Western reference to Rob Lowe's character right there. <laughs> he says that his standout moments for him are number one, those brutal dance auditions with Marilyn having to do the rapid fire next after a dancer strolls or stumbles or breathes into office. I also like how normal it is to her. Like, why would Joel even ask what she's up to? The gall. <laughs> he says that his second favorite moment is whenever Marilyn walks through Maggie's door with her suitcases looking for a new place to live. It's so forward. I love it. And his third favorite moment is Marilyn's reaction to Joel showing up and finding her in Seattle. Almost complete silence as she eats, but a sly smirk that shows some love for the dork. Yeah, I love that ending because we can see Joel is just sort of all over Marilyn, like not giving her any space he wants to go. Like we could go here next, we go to the museum, we could do this. 
And uh, Marilyn is like, you know, just kind of like saying like, no, I don't really feel like doing that. But it's, you know, perpetual back and forth. And even though we see Marilyn sort of like disagreeing, we know that they're both just so happy to be around each other or at least I don't know. We it's it's a it's a very comfortable pairing, you know, Joel and Marilyn, even if it seems like, you know, Marilyn doesn't want him to be there. I think they're both happy to be there. Yeah, they have a very brother-sister relationship. (laughs) Yeah. And we got a last-minute write-in on Twitter, so I thought we should include it here. This is from at PatG85. He said that some of his favorite guest stars were Graham Greene, who plays Leonard, Richard Cummings Jr., who plays Bernard, Adam Arkin, of course, Adam, Valerie Mahaffey, of course, Eve, Red Crow, who is playing One Who Waits, And his favorite episode I'll just include is also The Big Feast, which had Adam and Eve in that episode. Pat also wrote us an email at the beginning of season four. He told us an anecdote of when he had been acquainted with the actor Dennis Haysbert. That's the guy from those Allstate commercials, though he's known for many roles. Anyway, there was a time that Dennis was hosting his friend Ronald Joseph for a few days. Now, Ronald Joseph, you might recognize, is the actor who played Reynaldo Pinetree in season six of Northern Exposure. Ron was on his way up to Washington to film for Northern Exposure, but he didn't know much about the series. He was a friend of Darren Burroughs, but that's about all he knew about the show at the time. And Pat, being a huge fan of Northern Exposure, was able to explain the series to Ron, and he even got to help Ron prep for his role as Reynaldo Pinetree. So we're definitely going to have to learn more about the story when we get to the Ronaldo Pine Tree episodes in season six. But Pat, thanks for sharing the story. And actually, while we're at it, we received an audio recording from a listener giving us their thoughts on favorite moments of season four. This was sent in by at mad underscore picks on Twitter. And as you'll hear, they were walking and talking while recording, but we were really delighted to hear their thoughts. So let's go ahead and give it a listen. Hello, Lee and Charles. This is Mark. I've written to you a number of times when you were first starting out to plague you with my petty critiques. I've always been a faithful listener, though. I love your podcast. I'm currently on my daily walk, which is my method of choice to listen. You recently asked what fans of your podcast's favorite moments from season four were. Well, I can give you a couple of mine. I love pretty much... Every scene featuring Adam Ant in the episode Heroes, especially all the scenes with Brad Bonner interacting with Ed. But my favorite scene from that episode is probably when he's trying out all the different drummers for his video. And he's judging them not by their sense of rhythm, but on whether or not they are taller than him or not. I just love the feckless charm of his character. Well, and then there's also the uh, episode where Chris goes to the monastery, the scene where he's dreaming about approaching Brother Simon during their beekeeping duties. I remember when it first aired, it was quite shocking, remembering that it was 1990s. But my favorite moment of season four is at the end of Nothing's Perfect, where Ed is putting together the movie footage, which he had been shooting throughout the entire episode. Something about the smile on his face and the ephemeral passage of time with all of its little moments. With the knockout jab of the song Inchworm 
playing in the background. Gets me verklempt every time. Perhaps I'm strange, but the hook from Northern Exposure, which drew me in, always seemed to be the montages at the close of many of my favorite episodes. And Nothing's Perfect is a prime example of that. Anyway, thanks, Lee and Charles, for your podcast and for your thoughts. It's definitely deepened my appreciation of my favorite TV show of all time, North to the Future. Thank you, Mark, for recording your thoughts. You know, I'd forgotten about the closing montage in Nothing's Perfect. I went back and rewatched it, and it really is such a great moment for the end of that episode. And yeah, I really love that Inchworm song. I noticed on the DVD that I'm watching, it's pretty strange because the song starts, the Inchworm song, and almost like a couple of seconds into the song, it fades out and a new song fades in. Like whenever we see, well, let's see, we see Amy and she's working on Pi on her computer and we hear the Inchworm song and then that song fades out. And when we see Maurice kind of sitting with his clock, you know, he sort of glares at the clock and then checks his wristwatch, but, you know, keeps on going. Uh, well, when we get to that shot, a new song fades in. It's like acoustic guitar, singer-songwriter, vocal. Um, it's not a terrible song, and it definitely fits the mood, but I almost wonder if during broadcast, if Inchworm continued playing throughout the end of that episode. It's kind of a weird musical transition that uh, I don't know why they would cut off Inchworm or what the choice was, but it it seems a bit abrupt. But was very glad to revisit the ending of that episode. Uh, let's get back to the podcast and see what Charles has for us next. We also have an email from Kara who writes in to say that my vote for the best moments of season four is a tie. One, a Maggie moment, and another, a Joel moment. The season opener, where Maggie goes off on her 30th birthday camping trip and hallucinates a picnic lunch with all of her dead boyfriends criticizing her, which is one of my favorite plots of hers. It's made even nicer slash sweeter by how Ed and Joel frantically come looking to save her and the nice scene in the hospital where Joel seems overcome with gratitude that she's safe. He drops to banter for a few seconds and kisses her forehead. Oh yeah, forget that. That's the episode that ends with Stevie Wonder's happy birthday, uh, which is another great needle drop. Oh yeah. Kara says that her other favorite best moment this season is in Cottage for Uncle Manny, where Joel in a very well-acted moment of Rob's, where his voice quivers with emotion, says he realizes that Sicily is his community and says to Kaddish, and everyone assembled praise or shows their respect in their own way. That has to be one of the best Joel moments in the show. Other highlights are Joel's sweet description of Marilyn to the cops when he thinks she's gone missing in Learning Curve, mm. Maggie and Joel's long-awaited role in the hay in Ill Wind, Joel dejectedly walking in the Thanksgiving Day Parade since everyone decides he's been treated badly enough to no longer qualify as privileged and white, the return of one who waits, Joel going light loony in Midnight Sun, and quite literally everything that happens in Gross Point 48230. Oh yeah, you know, talking about Ill Wind, when we were, when we were talking about this season as a whole, we didn't mention that this is like the season where Joel and Maggie you know, finally consummate their love. I guess in season two, they kiss, uh, but it's been a few episodes since they've gotten that close. So I think that's another uh, capstone of this season. It is, but it returns back to the status quo. <laughs> that's, uh, it, it's that's not true. like it's that's like true. a permanent progression right there. 
Kara also wrote in to talk about some of the low points that she had in the season. She said that in the episode Northern Lights, she feels that the writers took their anger with Rob out on Joel and have a whole episode that's very thinly veiled meta commentary about how both Rob and Joel ain't getting out of their contracts without everyone hating them. Shelley singing an old tree and Mike Monroe just in general, in all episodes, turning everything he touches into treacly beige nonsense. That's my two Sicilian cents. <laughs> I think that's a great sort of meta commentary read that Kara has about how Joel and, you know, the actor Rob Morrow are trying to get out of their contract and Joel gets harshly punished by the town with uh, sort of uncharacteristic how the town like turns against Joel for no reason in that episode. Uh, that was Northern Lights, right? Yeah. Yeah, surprised to hear that Kara, not a fan of Shelley's singing. Very outlandish, I think. And I don't know if we mentioned in the in our podcast, but I don't think Shelley's actress is, uh, is that great of a singer. Actually, now I remember we did say that, but um, I don't think she's like that great of a singer, but I actually kind of prefer it that she's, just sort of like a normal person singing. But yeah, it is, It is. I can see how that can be um, grating or uh, unpleasurable for someone to hear uh, Shelley sing throughout that entire episode, if you're not into it. Well, now that Kara brought up the point of least favorite moments, I guess we can go into some of ours. Sure. Uh, I think that in the episode Survival of the Species, I was really not a fan of the Brad pot line. <laughs> it's that like 12-year-old boy that heads into town and starts... Um, uh, doing 12-year-old things. I I just didn't really enjoy how the townsfolk were kind of entertaining him on that. Uh, I think that was a, a low point for me. Another one would be in the in pretty much almost like the entire episode of Do the Right Thing. I didn't like really any of the plot lines right there. That's, that's the one where you have like that young health inspector who's coming in. You yeah. got that former member of the KGB going in. And I just felt like they didn't really resolve themselves very well, or I just didn't like the context in which they were being presented. I think Dude the Right Thing might be one of my least liked episodes. <laughs> yeah, if I had to rate them, I think I might agree. I think the ending of that episode is probably the best part. It's when Joel's like on the phone with his long lost relative, perhaps uh, someone who that shares his last moment. name. But overall, yeah, kind of a eh episode. But uh, I don't know. I guess there's some. There's always like nuggets of of good stuff in there, I think. But uh, for me, least favorite things, my the first one that came to my head was also Brad, that little boy, the 12-year-old like kid that <laughs> goes to work at the brick for some reason. Uh, I wrote down Mike Monroe. You know, I will say this time watching through this season was, uh, I think, my, I was my, my most favorable opinion towards Mike. Like, I appreciated him the most during this watch-through, which is... Um, to say, you know, I didn't outright hate every single episode that he was in, uh, but having watched it all, you know, maybe we could have done without Mike Monroe. Interesting idea, but I don't think it was ever really properly executed. You know, I am definitely in the minority right here. It's not that I enjoyed Mike Monroe's presence, but I definitely didn't feel like it detracted from my experience. I, I felt like good on the showrunners for trying to go outside the box and add like a temporary cast member and having it go in a slightly different direction, it, both in that context and in Mike Monroe as a character, I felt like he was all right. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm just coming at it like completely <laughs> new. 
Well, so. you know, I can get behind that. You know, there's nothing wrong necessarily. I mean, maybe there's nothing wrong with Mike as a character. I think maybe now that you've said that, perhaps the reason why I dislike that character so much is um, I'm just recalling a lot of scenes between Mike and Maggie. I want to say the majority of the scenes that they share, uh, with a few exceptions, the majority of those scenes, it just feels like both Maggie and Mike are doing nothing. Like they're very dull scenes. It's not just to say that the actors don't have chemistry. Sometimes I think they do. Sometimes, uh, maybe most times I think they don't, but just the writing and the things that are happening are so meh. Like, Oh, that is true. But that's more of a thing of like Maggie's interaction with Mike, which I think is what the the showrunners were really trying to like spear, like really push, uh, shoehorn his character into that sort of, spot and and focus Maggie and Mike on that. But, you know, I think Charles, you've already said this, but Mike's best moments are when it has nothing to do with romance, when he can just be like Mike, the lawyer or uh, Mike, the environmentalist, except for that, yeah. except for his, like his farewell. I thought that was pretty lame too. But, <laughs> uh, go ahead. Well, no, no, no. I think you're right. I, I did totally uh, block out those memories of Maggie and Mike and how like a lot of their plot lines were like miscommunication or yeah. like just not great writing. I, I, I had forgotten about that. Uh, definitely favorite Mike moment. It's probably when he's being Chris's lawyer whenever yeah. he's about to be yeah. hauled off to West Virginia. I think that's like a really great Mike moment. Great episode, yeah. Um, well, I really couldn't think of too many things to um, focus on as like least favorite. That That's pretty much all I got. All right. Well, let's walk on over to the best guest stars of season four. Uh, for this one, I actually have three picks. I just could not narrow them down. My first one would be Ruth Ann's son, Matthew. Ah, Matthew was this uh, financial yeah. banker sort. <laughs> and she had always dogged on him for going into that field. I really like the character and I like the actor. And it resolves itself very sweetly how, you know, he realizes he just needed a short break. My second favorite character would be Amy from Nothing's Perfect. Mm. She's a very interesting character because she's playing against Chris, who is very philosophical and free-willed, whereas she's more structured and mathematical in her art form. But we can both see that they're actually very similar with each other. She had a very quiet voice. Um, I cannot tell if that is her natural voice or if that was just something that the actress was doing, like, you know, acting. But I still remember her voice. I thought that she did a fantastic job as a character. And my last pick would be Jeffy from Gross Point 48230. <laughs> Jeffy plays such a delightfully terrible person <laughs> like we are obviously meant to root against jeffy but i think it takes real talent to portray that onto screen right there and there yeah. are still some moments in which you can realize that he truly is like a three-dimensional human being it's not like he was uh incredibly rude to joel it's just that he was set in his ways and like you, you've definitely met someone like that in real life in my opinion so i think that the actor for jeffy who is dylan baker Really knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Also in that episode, we got, I've forgotten his name, but it's Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He plays like the young priest or father. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, season four, the longest season, the most episodes, and probably the most guest stars of any season, I would have to say. Um, though I think that's typical for Northern Exposure. Pretty much any episode usually invites a new guest cast member. Um, but quite a lot of people, 
I want to throw out an honorable mention, uh, Moomin Shantz. That was like that weird sort of circusy Cirque du Soleil thing that happened in, um, what episode was that? Was it Nothing's Perfect? No, it was On Your Own. Uh, well, still very exciting to see that in Northern Exposure. Uh, but, you know, some of my favorite guest stars, I would also say, um, you know, maybe not favorite guest star of this season, but I sort of spoiled it for you, Charles, that Walt is going to be a recurring character. He already is in this season, but in season five, he really steps up and begins to develop his own plot line. But Walt was introduced in um, Love's Labor Mislaid. I actually can't remember what he does in that episode, but sometimes he only serves very small roles in season four. Um, but you'll see, you know, he he will come to grow in season five. Also, Irving Springer, we were really excited to see him in like some of the final episodes of season four, and he's a recurring character from season three. So I thought that was cool. But if I had to pick a best guest star of this season, uh, maybe it's more of a favorite thing. I don't know if this is best, but I would give it to Adam in The Big Feast. You know, that is the episode where he really gets to chew up the scenery, go crazy. He has that crazy monologue, which you know, maybe he isn't even a great scene, but just he's really playing it out in that scene as an actor, as Adam, uh, where he sort of like yells at his cooking staff. And I just can remember him like stretching his arms out and like cocking his head back and just full mad scientist in that scene. <laughs> also, we should note that the actor that plays Adam, Adam Arkin, did a directorial debut in this season. He directed the episode Family Feud which is also the one when um, Shelly sees like all the dancers and stuff. Uh, it's an interesting episode. And I think we should just note that uh, this is the season for Adam. You know, I don't know if he has the most appearances necessarily, but uh, he does direct an episode in the season. But yeah, plenty of other honorable mentions. We get the the teacher, Jane Harris, who is also, she plays Rosalind in the season three finale. That's uh, Joe Anderson, I think is the actress. Of course, all of Maggie's family that you mentioned. We got, oh, what was the guy? The clock, uh, Rolf. Remember Rolf, like the clock. Yeah, for Rolf. Batman? That mm-hmm. was a that was a great um, guest star. Lots of great stuff in this season. I've got a new category, Charles, for this for this season. You know, we started a Patreon when we started this season, and uh, if you don't know what our Patreon is, go check out Patreon.com/slash Northern Overexposure Podcast. Over there, we're producing a bonus episode uh, to sort of tie in to the universe of Northern Exposure. We do a bonus podcast episode once a month. Uh, At this point, it's sort of towards the end of the month, but we've released, gosh, I don't know, like how many episodes so far? I guess if we started in November, it's probably been seven or eight bonus episodes. And um, our very first bonus episode was on uh, Rob Morrow. That's the actor who plays Joel. Rob Morrow's directorial feature film debut, Maze. So he's the director. He's also an actor in that movie. And uh, we actually had a little bit of fan mail right in about this uh, bonus episode that we did on Maze. Well, I should mention that it was actually pretty hard to find Maze. I had to get like the DVD of it, Charles, that we watched. And I'm not even sure (laughs) that most people would even have access to watch this movie. But I did still think it was an important topic to cover for our first bonus episode. Uh, but don't worry, we have other bonus episodes, which we're, we'll talk about, Charles, uh, that 
cover much more accessible pieces of media uh, and ideas, I guess. But we did have a little bit of fan mail from Tom Hayes, who I don't think he actually watched Maze, but he listened to our Maze bonus episode. Tom said he decided to listen to the Maze commentary without watching the movie because apparently the DVD is kind of expensive and kind of rare, uh, which, you know, it's, it's not easy to access. But Tom goes on to write, the podcast gave me a good understanding of the project, and I'm okay not seeing it, but liked your takes and deep dive into Maze. And I started talking to Tom about Rob Morrow as a director because, Charles, I think we mentioned this in our Maze bonus episode, but Maze is not really Rob Morrow's first directing effort. It's his first feature film, but Rob Morrow made a short film before Maze called The Silent Alarm which I'd like to talk about briefly because I thought Tom had a really good take on it. Maybe one day we'll cover it, Charles, but just to give you an idea, The Silent Alarm is not a silent film, but it's largely without dialogue. I don't really think there's any dialogue. It's told from the perspective of a child. And, you know, if anyone is talking, it's sort of like blurry and kind of hard to hear. It's very visual. And um, this is what Tom had to say about The Silent Alarm. Based on this film and your review of Maze, it seems like Rob Morrow has an interest or perhaps a primary goal of putting the filmgoer in someone else's shoes and trying to relay a felt experience. In Maze, he wants the viewer to feel the highs and lows of the Tourette's disorder and even shows first-person camera footage for perspective. And if you're not familiar with Maze, the main character who Rob Morrow plays is an artist who has Tourette's. And Tom continues, in Silent Alarm, we see the world through the child's perspective. The camera work has childlike energy and motion at times, and the dialogue is muted because the boy is focused more on body language and small visual details and clues. The world seems big and scary, and Rob Morrow wants this to be an experience more than anything else. Perhaps I know why this is his approach. At least I can speculate. As an actor, Rob completely inhabits a character and tries to put himself in their shoes. In a way, these first films seem to be trying to force the viewer into a character because it's the deep connection he's used to getting out of a project. He's thinking like an actor in his directing. And yeah, I think we may have talked about this, Charles. Um, Not exactly this, but we did mention in our thoughts on Maze that all the acting and the directing of the actors is pretty great in this, uh, in Maze. You know, for the most part, there's some weird stuff, but... uh, I think that's one thing that you can applaud Rob Morrow is he knows how to direct his actors. Yeah, I would also say that Rob Morrow is really utilizing the audio-visual aspects of film Mm, to its fullest degree. So it looks like from the description of The Silent Alarm, you would only be able to pull this off in a movie. You would not be able to pull this off in a novel or a theater or any other art medium form. It seems that film is the most predominant way to showcase what he is trying to demonstrate right there, along with Mace, because Mace had a lot of particular cuts and shots that were out of the box. Uh, I, I think that we talked about this, but as someone who's like starting out as directing, in Rob Murrow's case, I think that he showed a lot of promise. The thing is that he needed to transition those ideas that could be construed as gimmicky into something that had substance. But like, it's it's harder than the working the other way around. Like, if you didn't have at least that out of the box thinking right there, and you just did like very standard shots, like profile shot, and then like cut to like a close up or something like that, just you know, run of the mill things, and then try to transition outward as you went into your career, it might be harder that way. So, 
Yeah, I, I, that's a really good takeaway from Tom right there. Yeah. And I also want to just say the silent alarm should still be available in full on YouTube. It's like on Rob Morrow's channel. Uh, and he has a little short, like one minute um, introduction to the film. Uh, he also mentions how, you know, the film was scored by the jazz guitarist, Pat Metheny. So the score is actually really great, I, I think as well. And I think it has, uh, I showed you Charles, it has a very small, uh, role played by Bradley Whitford of West Wing fame, you know, uh, he plays like a coach or something or a referee in, in the silent alarm. thought that was pretty neat. Anyway, the reason I wanted to talk about the Patreon is because I wanted to give an award for what I what we think, you know, our thoughts on what is our best Patreon episode so far, you know, for this season, since we started it at the start of the season. And for my thoughts on this, well, I think I had the most fun on our Northern Exposure cookbook episode. We got to, you know, pick recipes from this cookbook. We actually got two cookbooks and sort of like raffled one off as a prize. Uh, just like if anyone would write in, we enter you into a contest to win this cookbook. And uh, for the Patreon episode, we each cooked like two dishes. It was you, Charles, me, and our friend Beal. And yeah, I just had a lot of fun with that cookbook. Uh, it's pretty simple, but I don't know. I think for a fan of the show, I think it's a great little memento to have. But I think if I had to give our best Patreon episode, uh, you know, the cookbook was maybe my favorite. Our best, I would say, might be the cremation of Sam McGee. Now, this was a this was a Patreon bonus episode based on our guest Brody, who was the guest on the third season episode, Three Amigos, where Chris is reading sort of the call of the wild as a sort of a voiceover parallel to the actions that Maurice and Holling are doing, trying to bury their long lost friend. And Brody in his commentary apparently really hates, he detests Call of the Wild. And he suggested that what should have been read instead was The Cremation of Sam McGee. It's a short poem by Robert W. Service. And it's a phenomenal poem. Our bonus Patreon episode begins with Brody reading the poem and then we discuss it, and we have a lot of fun and joke around. And also, it might be one of our shorter Patreon episodes. I think it's around 30, 40 minutes. I don't know. Something about that episode is really, really makes it my favorite, I guess. Yeah, those are two fun Patreon episodes. They're like quintessential Patreon episodes. Because like, <laughs> uh, when I mean by quintessential, like quote unquote, I don't mean like quintessential to us, but like, uh, if you subscribe to like other Patreon podcasts on them, <laughs> they're usually like almost like outtakes or like just something like behind the scenes esque. Yeah, and these are like kind of similar in tone to that. Like, I can see why you <laughs> gravitated toward these uh, these two episodes. I would say for me, the two that I really enjoyed uh, a lot while discussing it and even just like re-listening to it was. The one where we discussed the Apple television series, Ted Lasso, mm. and the one where we discussed the television series, A Place Further Than the Universe. And the reason why I placed those so highly above the rest is because we related it back to Northern Exposure and the townsfolk. So in Ted Lasso, it has the premise of someone being out of their home country, going to another place, a fish out of water, just like Joel. And it was very fun to see the comparison between the two characters because Ted Lasso, you know, is a very positive upbeat, really go-getter character compared to Joel. 
Even though they have the same predicament, we can see that their outlooks in life are completely different. So it was really fun to compare those two. And on A Place Further Than the Universe, we related to how these four girls wanted to go to Antarctica. And then we said, like, well, what are the reasons for the townsfolk ending up in Sicily, Alaska? Like, what drew them toward there? So not only was A Place Further Than the Universe a very enjoyable series to talk about with you, Lee, it's very fun to relate it back to Northern Exposure right there. For that particular episode, what I find very funny is that, like, you could probably, like, literally cut out, like, half of that episode <laughs> and, like, just listen to our back half commentary of, like, the town of Sicily. You're like, I don't care about this random television series. I just want to hear about Northern Exposure. That's true. We did, like, talk about the first three episodes of the show. Which we threw out as we were talking about the plot of the first three episodes. We were sort of relating it to Northern Exposure. But the whole back matter of that episode was, uh, you know, actually, Charles, that was my runner up for best Patreon episode. Because I really did think that was really fun to go into each character and try to imagine how they found themselves in Sicily. Why they might have wanted to go to Sicily. Because we get sort of from uh, Northern Exposure, the TV series... We sort of get a little bit of backstory there with like maybe Maggie, some other characters. We, we sort of know where they might have been before, maybe how they got there, but really trying to embody certain decisions and aspects of their character that led them finally to Sicily, Alaska. And uh, yeah, Ted Lasso, amazing series. You know we're going to make another bonus episode when the season two comes out, which is, I think, next month. Oh, yeah, month. we got it. Yeah. yeah we- <laughs> definitely. Well, yeah, definitely check out our Patreon. Um, if you're interested, if you like what we talk about, um, you know, you'll definitely like our Patreon. Even if you don't like us necessarily, uh, I think we always try to focus our Patreon episodes on something that's um, adjacent to Northern Exposure that sort of expands on this broad idea. And for our last category right here, we're going to go to favorite podcast guest. Yes. So once again, uh, season four has the most episodes of any Northern Exposure season. So it can only follow that. It also has the most podcast guests. And we had some really great guests. I didn't even really rank a favorite, but actually I think maybe we could we could try to give, a, give an award out. But I do just want to say... You know, if you go from our first episode, we got Charles, our high school English teacher. That was an amazing guest. Uh, We got Harvest Moon, who was an extra on many episodes of Northern Exposure. Um, We got our friends Jay and Daniel. I think we have our first episode where there's four talking heads going at once. Uh, That was in uh, Cottage for Uncle Manny. Uh, But we also reached out this season to other podcasts to have, you know, hosts from other podcasts uh, give their opinion on this show. I think we had Jeff Buck from Who's the Worst Podcast. We had Eric and Jeremy from Wes versus Paul versus Paul versus Anderson, which now they've, we talked about this, but they continually change the name of their podcast. They're now called Little Marty. Uh, so what? Check it because <laughs> their past name their past name was Wes versus Paul versus Paul versus Predator. So then they changed uh, to Predator with Anderson. Now is this called Little Marty? Wait, yeah, no, it's is it it's versus Predator, not versus Anderson. I screwed that up. But uh you're right. Uh sorry. But it's called Little Marty now because it's a mix of uh Adam Sandler movies, I guess Little Nicky taking that title, and Martin Scorsese movies, Marty. So 
Uh, anyway, uh, I, I didn't guess that. I, I thought I, they took it from like Little Women. Yeah, right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I also didn't want to leave out um, in our duets episode. We had Chelsea and Tanae from Where the Hell Am I podcast, uh, which I think that was also a very hilarious guest starring. We also had a couple musicians this season. We had Morgan Orion and Jordan Prince guest on different episodes. Uh, you know, all around, lots of great guests. I was really thrilled to have. Um, Charles, do you have, do you have any favorites that we can give an award? Yeah. Okay. So before I give what I believe to be my favorite podcast guest, <laughs> I want to say like, like you had said before, uh, thank you for coming on to our podcast and giving us your point of view. Uh, some of y'all were honest and said like, I, I did not enjoy the show. I probably would not watch another episode, which is fantastic. I think that's really great that you were honest enough to say that. Cause a lot of times people might just, you know, try to sugarcoat it or just try to be polite right there. But anyway, thank you for coming on. I appreciate every single person that comes onto our podcast to help us out right here. It's pretty much like the one of the tenets of our podcast is to bring in individuals. So when we don't have one for an episode, it just wouldn't be Northern Overexposure podcast right there. Yeah. But yeah, uh, well, I guess mine <laughs> is just due to recency bias, but I would have to probably give it to Cameron. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Even though she's like the latest one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the most recent guest is the winner. You know, Cameron takes home the gold as best podcast guest. What were some of your favorite moments with uh, Cameron's uh, commentary? I think that Cameron just really analyzed every single plot line thoughtfully. She gave her own flavor to it right there. And she comes from a musical background. So it was very sweet and apt of her to use that to her advantage in order to really interpret each scene and try to give down the breakdown of how she would see it. And I think that's why I enjoyed her commentary so much. But again, like every other guest had their own thing that I really enjoyed as well. Um, like special shout out to Ms. McFarlane. I still think about that interview sometimes. She graciously came in to be our first guest right after we had a hurricane and her home was, you know, tremendously affected by it as well. Ms. Charlotte was also a fantastic guest. Mm, yeah. Really, we just had like a whole host of like really amazing individuals to come onto our podcast. Yeah. And if you've been following the podcast feed, you've probably already heard this supercut that I made of all of our guests this season. Uh, but I'll go ahead and play it again. What it is, is a brief blurb, a brief snippet of each guest. So in order, just a short phrase or idea from their commentary, but spliced together. So it goes from the first episode to the last episode of the season. Uh, it was for me and Charles, I guess it's sort of a trip down memory lane, remembering this season but it's also a fun exercise to listen to and to try to see if you can remember what episode they're talking about in their short little snippet. But anyway, I'll play it now. Like even, even the young me when I was watching Northern Exposure knew that he was supposed to be there. It wasn't a question. I, I got that. I think I've always felt like where I am is where I'm supposed to be. But throughout the episode, he just constantly propositions her with sex on uh, it. I think it's pretty funny, and it's a it's a good episode. It's a, it's a it's a Corbett up, a John Corbett up, and I've always been of the mind that John Corbett is a talent. And also, this whole premise, which I didn't quite understand, is that Bonner, uh, the the English rocker that Adam, the, the buffoon that Adam Ant plays, is he thought he was going to Sicily, Italy, 
and he ends up in Sicily, Alaska. Hello, fellow mooseheads. I, I hate to say this, but at this point, I'm not, um, I'm not fully sold on Mike Monroe. Loved Bob, actually. He was one of my favorites. He couldn't talk, uh, or he chose not to talk, rather, because at one point, he finally breaks the silence and tells, uh, says, I love you to this lady who I'm going to call Roseanne because I don't remember her name, but she spoke like Roseanne spoke. So a better sperm joke would have been something like this. It'd be Dr. Fleshman say, I'm going to need a sample. Holly, sure, always carry samples with me. Dr. Fleshman, do you? Semen? Holly, no men, just Shelly. Then he goes on to explain how he always carries the new bar food samples with him. So see, much better. His name was um, Tommy McLeod was the one that taught through. But in actuality, the prop people hollowed out the tomato and put tomato paste in it. And he actually only threw it, the prop guy threw it at Shelly from about right. three feet, you know, three feet away. So in the end of the episode, I, w- I was feeling like Shelly's not only the strongest person in town she also has like the greatest sense of self of anyone in town good head on her shoulders i realize i would never listen to their radio show it's so pretentious when chris and bernard are together talking about like the corporeal realm or whatever i really got angry with them but then i realized that the listener also got confused they were like did did this answer your question and she was like I guess I like that because I thought, okay, they're not taking themselves too seriously. Uh, You know, is fear of global warming, the end of the human species, pandemics, plagues happening, which, you know, that struck me as interesting. The show is, you know, almost 30 years old and uh, it's still apparently really relevant today. Uh, These are all things that we are grappling with right now. Uh, so either, you know, this show is really ahead of its time or humans are really bad at listening and implementing change. The dispute between the two older characters was funny because I don't really feel like it was resolved. It kind of felt like this guy was a crazy asshole. And then at the end was like, I can't keep my hands off people's necks. Want a juice box? And then they're friends again. Well, gosh, gee, Willikers. Oh, God, awful. Is God. he, is that man with the glasses and fly to Illamites? Is he blind? And then the second thing was, it's such a Motor City thing to say, the, the word choices that Jeffrey, Jeffy made uh, when he described misfires, malcontents, uh, what was the order? Loose screws, malcontents, and misfires. Yeah, that was such a Detroit thing to say. The, the, it just evokes images of that, I think. Who is this teacher? What on God's green earth is this teacher? This teacher's got some problematic views. She doesn't think women can fly planes in combat because they have periods. She's absolutely wrong. (laughs) Women can be in leadership and they can make decisions in any scenario. As a matter of fact, we visited Roslyn, Washington and, uh, after I got home, I started looking on, you know, Zillow to see how much property got. <laughs> and it's really expensive there, though. It really is. I looked down during the opening credits, and I was like, I think I missed Rick Moranis's name. Is this not the show with Rick Moranis? So the whole time, I was kind of waiting for Rick Moranis to show up. And I was like, all right, well, now it's like past the second commercial break. There's still no Rick Moranis. Anyway.
No Regranis, still good show. Let's go on. And finally, I love the song When the Lights Come On at the End. It effectively creates this sense of wonder and beauty of the moment, um, as well as the community of the town, as the beat of the song is sort of tribal and these people seem very connected and familial. And you can put Enya in anything, as far as I'm concerned, and it will make the scene work. I also really liked Chekhov's cake. Uh, as soon as I saw the whipped cream on that cake, I was like, please end up in someone's face. And I was not disappointed. And uh, he's stressed out because she got rid of his uh, Athabascan footstool, which is a really fun word to say, uh, Athabascan footstool. And I laugh because I'd had a similar thought earlier in the week. I, I've got a bottle of wine in the refrigerator that's been in there for a while. And I was just thinking, you know, how is it that something can sit there for so long, and but you can still drink it? Is it the cork has really sealed in so well? I I just don't know the science there. I, maybe it's something I could Google later. He just seemed really confused, like when she walked in. He's like, "What's this? Do you need something, Marilyn?" She's just kind of barking, not like barking orders better, but at him, but <laughs> more so like kind of giving him directions. And it was really funny. She said, "Pick up the pretzels," and that that was that was really <laughs> funny part about that. And this episode, I thought, it was very funny because now I started to get bit by mosquitoes today. Uh, how. He hates just the, all the mosquitoes, and he just finds it crazy that the town wants to throw a f- mosquito festival, even though, you know, he says that those creatures are just, like, the worst. And as for the whole storyline of Holland not getting laid enough because he's so used to having a massive amount of sex, if there's one thing I hate in fiction, it's when Yankees have humble brags about how much sex they're used to having. It sounds like John Irving flexing. I don't like it. In the back of my mind... At the end of all this, the song that is in my head is Wait For It from Hamilton, the musical. But in it, some of the lyrics say, death doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes. And we keep living anyway. We rise and we fall and we break and we make our mistakes. And so I, I guess it's just that the town realized um, more fully at the end that like, oh gosh, like death doesn't discriminate, you know, whenever they read kind of like the diagnosis of the tree, they're like, yep, the tree's dying and people felt it. So thanks once again to every guest that participated in this podcast. You said it already, Charles, but yeah, this wouldn't really be the Northern Overexposure podcast if it weren't for the guests. And you guys are, you know, taking up the time to watch a 45 minute episode, which is, you know, for TV shows, that's not very short. So thank you for taking that time and reflecting as well on the episode. All right. And now we got some fan mail and corrections for the podcast. Tom writes in to say that he went back and watched the deleted scenes from episode 12 Revelations. He says, there is an extended scene with Chris and brother Simon. And after watching, I believe the whole conversation is meant to be a dream. Chris Stevens says, am I dreaming? which gives us a clue, and then it's confirmed when Simon says her name is Chris. For me, it's meant to allude that he's in conversation with himself during self-reflection. It's very weird to me that his only revelation is just that he loves women. I completely agreed with your assessment on the flaws at this point in the Chris storyline. As a side note, it was fun seeing Steven Root in this episode. I also just started watching his 90s show, News Radio. It's pretty great so far, and Phil Hartman is perfect in it. One more side note on the topic of Mike Monroe. 
I wonder if the idea for a kooky scientist character living in a biodome wasn't a cultural zeitgeist at the time because of the 1991 experimental project, Biosphere 2. There's a really interesting documentary about it on Hulu called Spaceship Earth. Yeah, and I remember thinking about this and uh, writing to Tom because I also think about the uh, the Polly Shore, is that his name? Polly Shore movie Biodome, which I know it probably didn't come out in 1990, but was like in the mid-90s, perhaps, 96. That's a goofy movie, but yeah, I mean, maybe that was just sort of uh, a popular idea of the time. We also got a lot of emails and direct messages on Twitter about a correction that we had involving Eric at the Big Feast. Uh, Kevin, Kara, and at Sam Seaborn ESQ wrote to say that Frisco is a nickname for San Francisco. So that's a reference to saying that that's when Ron went to Frisco to sell the casa to Castro. Kevin later writes to say, I assume that maybe Eric owned a condo there with an ex-boyfriend and they're trying to sell it. The Castro is a residential district in San Francisco, one of the first openly gay neighborhoods in the U.S. Yeah, so obviously we... It slipped our understanding that Frisco could mean San Francisco, which I can see the connection there, I guess. But also, you know, all these uh, all these folks wrote in to mention that the Castro was a residential district. So I think that saying, sell the Casa de Castro, Ron's in, in Frisco, I think that's the only meaning that we can draw from that phrase. Uh, it definitely tripped us up a lot trying to think about that. <laughs> but thank you guys for clearing that up. Like that's, uh, I'm pretty sure we probably multiple times on the podcast asked for help on that. So thank you for writing in to, to solve that problem for us. There's one other little bit of fan mail that I can talk about. Uh, JC, who writes into the podcast often. Well, I got in a conversation with JC and uh, it's probably too much to read out and talk about now, but I did find it was really fascinating. Uh, eventually, I learned that JC breeds truffle hunting dogs. Now, you'll remember in the episode, uh, well, it wasn't the big feast. It was mud and blood because they're going to have a mosquito festival. Uh, Maurice buys a truffle hunting pig. And Charles, we were talking about, I think you were telling me that people breed dogs to hunt for truffles. They might be better uh, at hunting truffles than pigs because pigs might go and just eat all the truffles, whereas dogs just go with their strong sense of smell. But JC actually breeds uh, truffle hunting dogs, which I thought was just awesome. I don't know if it was because of Northern Exposure or because he loves truffles or for whatever reason, but uh, I just found that very fascinating. Well, before we wrap up, we should talk about the bonus features on the DVD that included some gag reels, bloopers, just additional behind the scenes for Northern Exposure Season 4. Yeah, so I think uh, it's on the second disc of the DVD. We're watching the DVDs, which is interesting because, like, you know, if you're going through, I think there's like six discs of Season 4. Obviously, each episode has uh, bonus material that was cut out, like deleted scenes. But like the big lump sum of uh, promos and gag reels, I believe exists on the second disc of season four. But it's got some pretty interesting stuff. Like you said, it's got two gag reels and three promos. Uh, I just want to quickly talk about the promos uh, that we watched. They're like 60 second short promos. So there's not really too much to mention, but uh, just a brief overview there's one with Maurice. He like walks into the room. He's like talking direct to camera. He talks about how there's no more Monday night football, but there's another great American show called Northern Exposure and you should watch that. And then like Maggie comes in and hugs him uh, and something like that. 
There's a Christmas uh, bonus feature where Joel and Maggie are like hugging, sitting in front of a big old Christmas wreath behind them with moose horns on it. Actually, this is like really short. I think she just says, we wish you warm and cozy nights or something like that. It's just a very short segment. I wonder how they used it on TV. Just a brief uh, promo. But, um, you know, when they're done with their take, uh, Joel says, or I guess I should say Rob says, you think we're going to do it this year? And Janine, you'll notice in these like in these bloopers, Janine has this scream of a laugh like whenever she laughs or when she breaks character she like screams really loud it's pretty funny to watch um but she says i hope so you think so so you know some chemistry on and off camera i guess and the last promo was baby promo and we kind of talked about this charles Uh, i was posting about it on our twitter i wasn't really sure what this was a promo for my guess charles is that it was like for the episode where shelly is um, pregnant. She finds out she's pregnant. So I guess the season finale, but I don't know. It could be, it could be other episodes of season four, but do you remember this promo Charles? Yeah. I would say that like, maybe that was a big deal. Like that might've been written on like TV guide magazines back when they had that. So yeah. like, they just wanted to publicize it. They just wanted to publicize it more. That was my guess right there. Yeah. I remember you can kind of see the slate. I know the DVD quality is really bad, but I was able to read the slate on that one, and the date was something like October, like the end of October, maybe. I could be wrong, but I do know that it was like months before they would have shot the, or I think months before they would have shot the finale. Uh, but, you know, it's possible that they, you know, knew where they were going for the finale and they wanted that storyline to come. So they shot the promo early. But yeah, so this promo is pretty much just like Joel and Maggie uh, standing together. Joel is like, scratching his chin like he's thinking and someone off camera says what would you name the baby and maggie says uh like a question she says joel and there's a lot of uh laughing like they're trying to keep a straight face throughout this and there's something that rob says uh in between takes where he says um you're the only one in the universe who will know what's so funny about that so there's obviously some sort of inside joke between Rob and Janine. And of course, we get that scream laughter from Janine Turner. Uh, but yeah, they're very short promos. If you have the DVDs, go check them out. They're short enough to watch. And uh, you get to see you know, the, the actors in between takes, which I think is a lot of fun. And that leaves us with the gag reel, which was about, I think, like six or seven minutes a piece right there. And I think the biggest thing that I got for the gag reel, like the very biggest thing, is that like Chris really likes acting up. Uh, it's not like he ruins the take or anything, but like he's obviously like very loose on set and he wants other people to be on loose. He wants other people to be loose too. So he'll kind of just like move his arms in strange manners. Like whenever a take is done, he'll, he'll just be like uh, powing around. It's very fun. <laughs> I, I think that like you, you want someone like that on set. Yeah. Yeah, and I also think on top of that, uh, Joel and um, Bernard, the actors who play Joel and Bernard, I feel like I feel like they cut up. They like to make each other laugh uh, in multiple, in different scenes that they're in. You know, you can see it. They're definitely playing with each other. And uh, I want to say it was Joel, or maybe it was uh, the actor for Bernard in uh, recently. I think it was in like that Vulture Fest, uh, but it might have been something else. It was like an interview that I read recently where they're talking about like the most that they've laughed in uh when they were shooting or like one of the most 
you know, the time it was hardest to like keep a straight face was um, it was in the episode where Adam and Eve get married. I know that's in the third season, but it's like they're all in the back room. I think it's like Joel, Bernard, Adam, maybe there's someone else sitting around a table. I can't even remember what they're talking about. But if you go and watch the outtakes from that season, they're going crazy. <laughs> they cannot stop laughing. But uh, even in season four, you can see in the outtakes, Joel and Bernard are, are really goofing out. And another thing you should know about the gag reels is, you know, they're not censored and these actors are grownups and sometimes a bit of a, you know, potty mouth. There's some like bad language, but I think, you know, if you don't mind that, it's pretty hilarious. Uh, There's a couple of moments that I wanted to touch on. I think it's during the big feast at the party. Uh, we have Adam and Eve are there and Adam and Eve's baby. You know, I forgot the name of the baby. Isn't it like Archibald or something crazy? Aldrich. Aldrich is the oh, name. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I would have never close. have guessed that. <laughs> we got close, though. Um, but anyway, they've got their baby there. And Dave, the cook, I think he has the line, cute little fella. And <laughs> I think almost as soon as he says that, he says, oh, f- he just threw up and like everyone starts, <laughs> everyone starts laughing because the baby must have thrown up. It's not on the camera, but we can see Dave is like reacting. He can't stop laughing. He's also grossed out. And then like Chris uh, is like, are, are you rolling? Are you rolling? Keep rolling. And uh, what one last moment I'd like to touch on that's a, a bit explicit is uh, there's a scene where Joel is talking to Marilyn. He says to her, Marilyn, is this conversation as absurd to you as it is to me? And then Marilyn says, you started it. I think that's supposed to be the end of the scene, but it lingers for a second. And Joel says, you're a smart. (laughs) And then Marilyn, uh, she's like, can't help but like smirking and smiling. And she says, I learned it from you. And that's the, that's the outtake. Everyone's just is laughing and cut, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's a great moment right there. (laughs) Uh, there's a lot of great stuff. We could go through it all, but I, I'm sure it'd be much more enjoyable if you just uh, checked it out on the DVDs and, and watched it. Um, but yeah, I think uh, some very worthwhile bonus features. I think, uh, Charles, that might do it for our retrospective. But before we go, I'd like to talk about our ideas for the podcast for season five. And maybe first we could say, um, we, we may have theorized this at the end of the last episode, um, Old Tree, but... What do you think is in store for Northern Exposure in season five? Yeah, so I'm like really mixed on season five and it's because of outside information. So I know that like something happens to Rob Morrow, like some sort of dispute, uh, contract dispute, or like maybe he wanted to get out of the show earlier or something like that. I have purposely kept myself in the dark about it. I, I have no idea what the full details are. I'm just aware that he's like not entirely from start to finish in Northern Exposure. So I'm guessing that somewhere in season five is when things start getting rocky and possibly his character being written out and maybe a new character. It seems like there's a new one. I'm not even entirely too sure myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've kind of already seen a little bit of backlash against Rob Morrow and Joel in this season. And some people will say that Mike was, you know, invented for that purpose to sort of punish Rob or to remove Joel a little bit from the spotlight, you know, if, if his, there's some contract dispute or whatever. Uh, so it's not improbable that it might get worse in season five, but I'll say, um, I do remember season five quite fondly. Um, again, you know, it's of all the seasons of Northern exposure, 
it's one that I haven't seen as much as like one, two, or three. But of course, I've said this to you already, Charles, season six really gets pretty, pretty funky. So uh, we're not there yet. We still have a whole season, season five, uh, which I'm pretty excited to revisit some of these episodes uh, that I haven't seen in quite some time. But yeah, just since we're in the mindset of a overall season retrospective, I'm curious also to see, you know, when we get to that point in season five and our season five retrospective, how we might view that season overall. I guess there's no way in, in telling that now, but I'm excited to embark on season five, not just for the individual episodes, but to see overall where this might be heading. But anyway, before we close out here, um, just some resolutions, some ideas for uh, what we can do differently or change in season five. Well, first off, if you have any ideas, listener, please write us at northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any ideas for the podcast, we love hearing your suggestions. But something that we tried to do in season four and sort of abandoned is to reach out to people who worked on the show. Not necessarily cast, but also the crew. But also, it'd be amazing if we could get a cast member on the podcast. But yeah, reach out to people who had worked on the show and see if they would be guests on the podcast. We had spoken to the animal coordinator for the series and also, I believe, through Facebook, the costume designer for the entire series. And, uh, you know, I think it'd be incredible if we could get in touch with David Schwartz, the composer. Uh, there's a lot of names that aren't just the actors, though I think uh, a goal, for me at least, would be to try to reach out to these people and see if anyone would want to comment or record something for the podcast, uh, share any of their stories. Uh, so if you have any connections to anyone who has worked on the show in any capacity, put them in touch with us, northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com. Well, one thing I will say about our season four is that our episode lengths have been getting longer and longer right there, <laughs> which we want to just, you know, go through every single aspect that we can because we're that's like the mission statement of Northern Dover Exposure. But if you find that it is too long, please send us like an email. Or if you do enjoy like the longer format, you know, also write in and be like, hey, no, I enjoy this or I don't enjoy this. Yeah, I feel bad cutting out any of our any of your thoughts, Charles. You know, I don't want to cut out anything. I want, I want to keep our thoughts in there. But I also feel also very bad for releasing episodes that are somehow getting longer and longer. I, I don't know if it's uh, a change in the way I've been editing or just the way we've been recording. I really do think we just like talking a lot, Charles. I don't, for better or for worse. <laughs> so yeah, please give us your feedback on, on uh, episode length. If it's getting too long or if it's just right. Uh, and if you want even more, if it's not long enough, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Northern Overexposure Podcast. Uh, we're going to have another Patreon episode probably coming out right after, at some point very shortly after the this episode comes out. So yeah, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers and everyone who wrote in for this episode or who's just a listener who writes in for the fun of it. Uh, I think we say this in our reply emails, but it really does make our day when we get any sort of writing from a listener just to, you know, know that someone's listening, but also uh, talking to a fan of Northern Exposure, I think is a lot of fun. Well, Charles, we're going to take quite a break as we uh, depart from season four and prepare for season five. But in the meantime, you know, we'll be talking once a month, Charles, uh, for our Patreon. But um, 
for now for our main feed, Charles, have a great summer and I'll see you in season five. All right. I'll see you in season five, Lee. Northern Overexposure Podcast is edited by me. Our theme music was remixed by Matt Jackson. Thanks to Laser Kitties for the podcast artwork. And thanks to you for listening to season four of the podcast. If you'd like to write in, you can reach us at Northern Overexposure Podcast at gmail.com, at Northern Overpod on Twitter. And if you like the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Northern Overexposure Podcast. And of course, thank you for listening.